All right. Um, so we've been, uh, there's no easy transition here. So we've been in, in the storyline of the Bible. Uh, we've been looking at 16 verses uh, through the storyline of the Bible. Uh, author, I believe his name was Chris Bruno, if I'm not mistaken, I forget. I wrote this little booklet, just a tiny little book. This is week four, uh, but we are actually on week six. Um, as far as this storyline goes, we're looking at uh, these main themes. And, and maybe some of you have started to memorize this. If you did, we mixed it up. Uh, this week, we changed it up on you. So we haven't done anything different in the past, obviously. You're like, oh, look, look at that. We already covered that one. That was easy. Uh, no, we're, we're just, we just moved some things down the line and, and added one that um, we thought that should be in the book but wasn't. Uh, and so uh, that's, that's that. So if you've got it memorized, you know, start over. No, I'm kidding. Most of it, I don't, yeah, anyways. All right, so let's go back. Just recap where we've been uh, looking at these previous five. And then we will add number, number six today. Uh, and I do this just because repetition is a good thing. I'm not going to preach on every, every point. I just want to uh, have this in your mind that we started with creation in the beginning, and it was very good. It was very good over and over and over that we had this creation, but it doesn't stay there long. Well, we're not there yet. We have human beings that are created, that humans, uh, male and female, are created in the image of God, equal in dignity, value, and worth, uh, and yet different uh, at the same time. And so God creates human beings made in his image, uh, and then and they walk with God in the cool of the day and they are living in perfect harmony, but it doesn't stay there long. We have the fall, sin enters the world and it just rips everything apart that uh, once was in harmony. And now there's relationships uh, between male and female that are damaged and harmony between God and man that is uh, humankind that is then damaged. And, and then just nature uh, within humanity and the world around it, that it is damaged and there's a curse that falls on that. And one of the curses that's then given to the serpent, this, this view of what's, uh, what's going to happen, that you, snake, serpent, the devil, as we looked at, you're gonna, you're gonna bruise his heel, but he's gonna bruise your head. He's gonna crush your, he, your, your head, and he's gonna do this when he, when he dies on the cross. And as we looked at all these, and again, we were still in Genesis. We're still gonna be Genesis today. It's everything looks forward to Jesus, uh, that we can see Jesus. And, and as we read the Bible and we get to the New Testament, we can go back and go, oh yeah, that, that clearly is, is Jesus. And then last week looked at Abraham and looked at this idea that Abraham might even be put up on a pedestal, might be looked at as, a, as this great father of the faith, and he's not. I mean, he, 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 he has faith in the promises of God the same way that I hope that we would have faith in the promises of God. But God just chooses them, uh, not because of anything that Abraham did. And he says, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed, all of them will be blessed. And so this, this week's sermon, we're going to be looking at the lion of the tribe of Judah. And we're going to be looking at Genesis 49, specifically verse 10. Judah the king is the phrase. And Genesis 49 verse 10 says this, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Scepter, right? The king's scepter. This, there's something kingly that's going to happen to Judah but we've got a lot of background information we got to cover before any of this will make sense. So there's going to be a lot of Bible being said. Uh, I'm not necessarily going to read a lot of the story. I'm going to read some of it, but just for context's sake. So I want to look uh, just at these uh, images here. And, and the, the first one on the left there is, right, that's still right. Yeah, okay. Uh, the first one on the left there is you have Abraham. And God commanded Abraham to sacrifice his son, his only son, uh, Isaac. And as, as he's getting ready to do that, we didn't even get a chance really to, to talk about that last week, but God shows up. He does show faith in that. 
But the uh, angel shows up and has a ram for the sacrifice. Well, Isaac in the next picture is the old man. And Isaac has two sons, a twi some twins, Jacob and Esau. And, and Esau is born first and Jacob comes out. And as he's being born, I was actually reading the Genesis account. I told Angela, I was like, now having been a dad and having been in a delivery room three times, the way Genesis describes the birthing process, I feel so bad for the women because it's, it's, they're not normal births. I can tell you that. So in this one, Esau is born and Jacob is, is holding on to his heel, okay, as he's being born. And that's why he is named Jacob. Though, sorry, I don't think anybody here is named Jacob. That's why he's called, Jacob means the deceiver. And as his father is dying, as this old man, uh, Jacob goes in and tries to steal his older brother's birthright. He was born first. He was going to get all of his father's inheritance. So then he, to deceive his dad, who is blind now at this time, um, disguises himself like his older brother Esau by putting wool on his arms. I mean, Esau, Esau, bro, like that's, that's intense when the way you can get like copied and deceived by your little brother is by putting wool on your arms. And so that's what happens. Jacob is deceived, or excuse me, Isaac is deceived and he blesses Jacob. And, and, and that was a really big deal. We don't really have this in our culture anymore and it's probably a good thing. Um, but this birthright, all of the inheritance and the majority of the blessing then goes to Jacob. Even though he was deceived, uh, Isaac giving that blessing, Jacob now inherits that. Um, and so Jacob, the line and everything that happens, the blessing that happened to Abraham, and then Isaac gets passed on to Jacob when rightfully it would have been Esau's. And so you have this deceiver now then who has all of his children. The scene there is going to be his sons, um, 10 of them throwing their youngest brother at the time, Joseph, into a pit. But before we can get into the story of, of Joseph, which we're going to go back to him later on, I need to talk about Jacob's family. This is a family tree, except this is not how a normal family tree should look. Um, Jacob ends up having four, well, two, two wives, two concubines that he has children with. And so real quick synopsis, Jacob uh, falls in love with this woman named Rachel. And the Bible describes her as very beautiful. Uh, and so he goes to this, her dad, his future father-in-law, and says, I want to marry Rachel. His dad, or the, the father of Rachel, says, sure, but you need to work for me for free as a bondservant for seven years as a slave uh, in that culture. And he says, yeah, great, sign me up. I will wait seven years to marry Rachel. Uh, it's their wedding night, and I don't know, the lights are off. Jacob had a little too much to drink. I don't know what happened, but Rachel is not uh, who he ends up marrying or is not uh, in the wedding chambers that night. It's Leah. And Leah is described as uh, not uh, beautiful in scripture. And so Jacob wakes up the next day and says, you tricked me. How could you have done that? I wanted to marry Rachel. And then he says, well, you know, serve me for another seven years and then you can marry Rachel. And he does it, All right? So he, uh, he waits seven more years working and then he finally marries Rachel, but he's now married to her sister. But Rachel's unable, at least at that point, able to have kids. And so Leah, someone who would not have been uh, 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 clearly not liked or, or loved. I, you can't, I can't imagine being in a position to being married to somebody who doesn't love you but wants to have children with you. Messed up, right? The whole thing's messed up. Uh, and so Jacob and Leah then have Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Rachel then starts to get a little um, 
upset that she's unable to have kids. So she gives her servant, Bilhah, to Jacob and says, why don't you have kids with Bilhah? So then she has Dan and Naphtali. And then Leah says, I don't like that she's having kids. So why don't you have my servant, Zilpha? So Jacob then uh, has Gad and Asher with Zilpha. And then Leah has two more children, Ishakar and Zebulun. And then Rachel finally conceives and has Joseph. And that's, you can see the little image. He's wearing this coat of many colors. Clearly the favorite kid, right? I mean, you can imagine having all these other kids and Jacob's just like, I don't really care. I, I, I clearly love Rachel more. Uh, and then she finally has a son and it's Joseph. He doesn't work outside in the fields like his brothers. He's given this robe to show importance. And then he has his little brother, Benjamin. Okay, so that's, we're gonna go back. because We're skipping a lot here in the storyline. Uh, and so we're gonna skip forward though to where Jacob is now blessing his sons. So this is the same scene where Isaac is blessing Jacob or giving his, uh, the, the, the birthright to his son, uh, Jacob, that deceived him. Now Jacob is doing that with his, excuse me, his 12 sons. And that's kind of where the story begins. This is, we're gonna go back, we're gonna look at Joseph and, excuse me, what happens with his brothers a little bit as we look at the blessings here of, of Jacob, because that's where this passage comes from that we're gonna be looking at today. It's Jacob speaking to his sons, speaking specifically to Judah. But just a little bit of context, let's go back to Genesis, uh, not back, but going to 49, one through 12. It says, then Jacob called for his sons and said, gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob, listen to your father, Israel, which is what uh, Jacob went by as well, as a father of, of a nation, right? It's a, that's what he is. And that's where Israel gets its name. So he starts off with Reuben, the firstborn son of, of Leah, his firstborn, firstborn kid. Reuben, you are my firstborn son, my might, the first sign of my strength and excelling in honor, excelling in power, turbulent as the waters. You will no longer excel for you went up onto your father's bed, onto my couch and defiled it. Long story short, in Genesis 35, Reuben ends up uh, having relations with uh, Jacob's servant, uh, Bilhah, or Rachel's servant, messed up. Okay, it's not a good family line. Sometimes people are like, oh man, the story's in the Bible. These, these are great. No, this is, they are not good human beings, okay? Um, don't do what, this is a narrative. This is a story that's recounting what had happened. Okay, that's Reuben. And then we get to uh, the next two in line, Simeon and Levi, our brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly. For they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they please. Cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. And so Levi, the Levites are gonna be the chosen line for the priest. And they're actually not gonna own any land in Israel, Simeon is gonna be given a small plot that's gonna be completely surrounded and engulfed by the tribe of Judah, uh, just exercising his authority over him. So now though, we have, we have this uh, now this next blessing that's gonna to happen to Judah. And there's a shift here in tone. And, and we're not really given any reason why. When you look back, it's all a, a past thing. Reuben, you did this thing, so you're not gonna be blessed. You're not gonna be chosen. Simeon, Levi, you did some horrific things. And you, you can go back and read this in, in, uh, in the Genesis account. 
slaughtering a whole town of, of men, uh, the men in that town. And, and all this stuff happens. And so, but now Judah, who also is not a good person, which we're going to look at, for some reason gets this future blessing. Something's going to happen in the future. And he says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you, which is the exact same language that Joseph uses to his brothers. Joseph, the, the chosen one, he goes to his brothers and he's like, I had this dream and you all, all of you guys were bowing down to me. And you can imagine that sat well with his older brothers. And they're like, yeah, okay, we're gonna kill you. Actually, better yet, let's profit off you. We'll sell you into slavery. Uh, and, and so it's the same language though, but now it's, it's Judah. And, and we're just not told why, other than God said so. Uh, and so Judah ends up then uh, becoming this, this, the, the king in place of Joseph. And, and Joseph's sons are blessed. They're tribes of Israel. Uh, Joseph is not a tribe of Israel. And then Levi doesn't have land. So there's 12 tribes uh, that end up having land. And um, Joseph's, Joseph's son, uh, Manasseh and Ephraim are the other two tribes. Anyways, he says, continuing here, you are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the, play, the prey, my son, like a lion. He crouches and lies down like a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? And this is why, and I can't, man, I really want to do a C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia reference, but I just did that two weeks ago. I should have read ahead and we would have gotten here. All right, but this is why uh, C.S. Lewis has Aslan being a lion. He's a king. There's, a, there's something kingly about having this, this lion because of this prophecy and because of this blessing. And then we're gonna see Christ fulfill that. Um, lions are, are wild, right? I, I was at, last summer I was at Como Zoo and that's not even a wild lion. You know what I mean? It's like tame as could be. And they, and they introduced a new lion into the thing. And one day my kids and I we were walking through and they had a big old piece of plywood over the huge thick plexiglass. And I just asked, like, oh, are you doing some construction? They're like, no, the new line was introduced, and they got in a fight, and they cracked, they broke the, the plexiglass, and they were fighting. And I was like, that's, that's intense. I mean, I can't imagine being there, like, oh, kids, look at the lines play. And then we're all going to die, right? It's very intense. Uh, I remember when I was at, in Illinois uh, growing up, I was in high school, we had a, 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 quite a large um, a deaf ministry, and we had a, a deaf, he was, uh, he was, um, he could hear, he was actually my French horn teacher, uh, but he was the deaf pastor and they had a whole service that they would do. But they brought in a guest preacher who, who was deaf and he preached and he was signing and uh, our, our pastor then would translate. And it was a really, really neat experience to have, uh, have that. But he told a story about a lion and I, maybe he was preaching out of the same text, I don't remember. But he shared this story and I'll never forget it. He said, uh, and this is, uh, he, he said that he would, um, he went to a zoo one time and he was behind the cages and, and this lion was standing, you know, right on the other side of the cage, you know, safely, obviously. And, and I, he said he was kind of tapping or doing something, trying to get the lion to do something like anybody normally does. And he said, and the lion looked at him and, and, and roared, right? Just like a big roar. And he's like, at that moment, I knew I wasn't 100% deaf because I felt it in my soul. You know what I mean? I felt this lion roar. And even though I couldn't hear it, I could hear it, you know? Uh, and there's a, there's a reason why a lion is, is chosen here uh, in this passage of this lion, this lion of the tribe 
of Judah, a king, right? I don't know where the jungle comes from. Does anyone know that? Where's the king of the jungle? Lions don't even live in the jungle, do they? Not like that. Savannah. Sahara. I don't know. Let's keep going. So this, this blessing now is coming. Now there's going to be kind of this prophecy in this blessing that's tied into the covenant that God makes with Abraham, the great-grandfather of, of Judah. And it says this, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Now, when Moses was penning these words and he's writing this down, and <coughs> excuse me, and when these blessings are being said and people are writing these things down, they're not thinking, oh, there's gonna be the Son of God who's gonna be born, and his name's gonna be Jesus, and he's gonna be the descendant, he's gonna be the ruler. They don't know that, but we do now, and we get to look back and we get to we get to see this happen. And what's so wild about this, uh, let me, let, me, let me just read this quote here real quick from uh, John Walton. He says, this saying, this phrase of the, this, the, the uh, uh, scepter is not gonna depart, in effect, points to Judah as the primary channel of blessing to all the nations of the earth in the future. So all the, all the blessings that happened to Abraham are now gonna be through Judah. Not nobody else, not even Levi, not even the priests, not Joseph, but Levi. Even though Joseph filled that role in the context of Jacob's immediate family, again, we see the emphasis and the blessing uh, clause of the covenant in this section of Genesis and Judah's emergence as the tribe destined for leadership. Just one couple last verses in the, <clears throat> excuse me, in the uh, blessing. Uh, he will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine. His robe is in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine. His teeth whiter than milk. Nobody knows what this means, all right? There's like, I don't know if there's like some deep thing. The, the, the ones that I were able to read and find could only say that they're just gonna be kingly and be wealthy in the sense that they're gonna, in a, in a, in a allegorical sense, they're gonna be so wealthy, they're gonna just wash their clothes in wine, all right? It's gonna be just, they're just gonna be wealthy. That, that could be, his eyes will be darker than wine. Uh, some translations will say that they're, his eyes are dull with wine but somehow he drinks some red wine and his teeth stay white, I guess. Like, I, don't, I have no idea what's going on here. Uh, no clue. Uh, and it's not, it doesn't seem to be the point, but what is the point is, is for sure the, the scepter and the kingdom that's gonna happen. So what happened with Judah? Why is Judah so special? Well, we can go back to Genesis 37 when Judah is a leading proponent to selling his little brother Joseph into slavery. Well, that doesn't sound like a good thing. We can go to Genesis 38. You want a story that you're like, ah, man, why, why is this in the, like the word of God, right? Why is this here? Because it's not like we're supposed to do these things. Judah's not a good man. Long story short, he sleeps with a relative who is posing as a prostitute. There's not too many older kids in here. I think we're okay. Sleeps with, a, with an older uh, a, 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 a relative who gets pregnant and then he finds out she was pregnant uh, and, uh, and is like, let's burn her to death. Let's burn her at the stake for being a prostitute. And she's like, but my child is yours. And then he's like, oh, oops, she's more righteous than me. Let's not kill her. And it, right, it's not, not a good story. Uh, so we have that aspect of Judah. He's just completely, as an individual, unworthy of this kingly honor. 
But we go back to Genesis 12 and this, we look at this unconditional covenant that God makes with his great grandfather, with Abraham, again, completely unworthy of this, that I, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you, I will make you and I will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the people on the earth will be blessed through you because of what God does. You can't do anything to undo this covenant. Judah, you can't even do the crazy things that you did. This is what's gonna happen because I'm God, period. But all the nations are gonna be blessed through you and not just you, I think one of the beautiful aspects of this is that this, this line, the lineage of Christ doesn't go through Rachel. It doesn't go through this exceptional woman and his, her exceptional son of Joseph. It goes through Leah and Judah. God just doesn't like picking people who are, that, that fit the bill, right? Which is exciting to me. There is one story though that I do want to recount though where that Judah does learn from his mistakes. So let me go back and just recount the story here of, of Joseph briefly. Joseph is sold into slavery. And some of you may be familiar with this, maybe not. So I'm just, I'm just generalizing, recapping the story here. Genesis basically 39 through 50. Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. He goes down there, he's bought by a man named Potiphar who was uh, higher up in, in Pharaoh's uh, regime. And, uh, and he quickly rises to blessing. Um, his Potiphar's wife, uh, who's nameless, but Potiphar's wife uh, tries to make a move on Joseph. And Joseph is an upright man. And he says, no, how can I do this against Potiphar, your husband? And how can I ever do this against my God? And he flees, um, but then she uh, accuses him of uh, indecency and he's thrown into prison. And he spends several years in prison, but he, some of people, a baker and a cupbearer have some dreams and he, he translates it, he, he interprets their dreams for them. And one of them is killed uh, by the king. And one of them though is put back, the cupbearer is put back into his position uh, for being wrongly accused. And anyways, one night Pharaoh has a dream and uh, nobody can interpret it. And the, and the cupbearer is like, oh, I know a guy, he's in your prison, he can interpret dreams. So they go get him, they go get Joseph, who's been in prison for years. And they bring him up before the Pharaoh and the Pharaoh tells him a dream and then he interprets it. He says, you're gonna have seven years of plenty, you're gonna have seven years of famine. And then Pharaoh says, you got the whole kingdom, man. I'm gonna take time off. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna do the, uh, what do they call it, a chancellor? Is that what people do when they're like, they don't wanna retire, but they wanna stay in the biz, right? So he, they, he becomes, the, the, the Pharaoh's like, I'm just gonna chancellor this, you run everything. You're, you're wise, your God clearly is blessing you. Just do it, just run with it. So he's second in command in all of Egypt. And they, they hold on to, to a lot of the, the resources that gained in the first seven years so they can become very wealthy in the years of famine because they're able to sell their goods. And that's exactly what happens. So Joseph is seated on his throne. Wealth beyond imagine, food and reserves for the nations. And his brothers, Jacob is still alive and he sends his 10 older brothers. He's got his little brother, Benjamin. Benjamin, no, 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 you're not going to Egypt. Nope, not losing another one of my favorite wife's kids. Benjamin, you're gonna stay home with me. The rest of you, the 10 of you go down to Egypt and get some food. So they do, they go down to Egypt and they get food. Joseph though recognizes them. They do not recognize Joseph. So he plays these awesome mind games with his brothers. Uh, it was just, a, it just it, it's a great movie. Uh, you should watch it. Whoever plays, uh, who plays uh, Professor X in the X-Men uh, movies? 
Who is that? You know what I'm talking about. Bald guy. Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart. He plays Potiphar in this story. Anyways, Joseph, uh, they don't recognize him. He recognizes them. So then he gives them grain. They give him silver. He gives them all the all of the uh, this stuff. Well, they, they say, he's like, do you have any more brothers? Joseph asks, do you, hey, do you guys have any more brothers? And like, well, we used to have one. Uh, he died a long time ago, speaking of him, right? And, they're like, and he's like, any more? And he's like, well, we do have a younger brother, uh, but he didn't come with us. And Joseph says, you're spies. You're all gonna be locked in prison until this younger brother comes here. And they're like, no, we need to go get him. So then he's like, fine, this guy will stay. So Simeon's chosen, he's bound, he's thrown into jail. He sends his nine brothers back and Jacob, and they're like, hey, we need to bring Benjamin back to get Simeon out of, out of jail. And Jacob's like, not a chance. Simeon can rot, no way. No way are you guys doing this. Well, then they run out of food, all right? So then they're like, we gotta go back. And so they do, they go back. This time they bring Benjamin and they go back. And then Joseph ends up putting a silver cup, his, his goblet in Benjamin's bag. And they find it and they're like, this Benjamin, he's gonna now become uh, a slave here. It's all this stuff. And here's what happens. So, so Joseph is playing these games and Judah steps up. Judah says this in Genesis chapter 44. So now, if the boy is not with us, when I, when I go back to your servant, my father, this is now, he's talking about Jacob. And if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of your father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant, that is Judah, guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all of my life. Now then, please let your servant, let me, let Judah remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. He seems to learn from his mistake. There seems to be just a, a glimpse of some servant leadership that you would want out of a king. And we see this, that Judah in this moment gives his life for his brother. But in no way is Judah an innocent party but he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give myself, you, you take me, I will sacrifice myself for that of my, my little brother. So then we're then introduced to the one who doesn't have to learn from his, his mistakes. The one who's unlike Abraham, the one who's unlike Judah and the horrific things that happen. We're introduced to this lion of the tribe of Judah. Or introduce the one who doesn't just take the place for one younger brother, but for all people. But one who's completely innocent. Right? How, how could one person right, kind of trade places with all these people who are, who are not worthy or sinful? It's because he is the one innocent. He is perfect. He is unguilty. And so he is able to pay the ransom for all those people and to pay the price to free them from their sins. And we're introduced to this lion of the tribe of Judah in Revelation chapter five. 
And as I read these verses, there might be things like, I don't, I don't fully understand what's going on. That's okay. At some point, we will do, we'll, we will preach the book of Revelation because I know everything. Well, I'm just kidding. I'll give you all the, I got the answer key. You guys didn't get one of those? Uh, right? No, we'll, we'll walk through that at some point. So there might be things, I don't understand that, but it's, it's very, there's certain things. There's a, there's a quote from a pastor friend, Chris Walker, kind of talked about, there's a lot of passages all over the Bible that is just the, the sun shining brightly and it's clear. Kind of like in this passage we just looked at of the, the, the promise and this blessing to Judah. Some of it's like, yeah, there's gonna be a king who's gonna be established forever. And your teeth are really white. Okay, I don't know what that means. That's okay, that's not the emphasis here. And that's what happens a lot in the book of Revelation, okay? So let's, let me just read this in chapter five. And then I saw, this is uh, the, the apostle uh, John, then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne, this is Yahweh, this is God, this is the creator. I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, this, this word loud is all over the place in, the, in Revelation. I saw this mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and to open the scroll. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Nobody, not Abraham, not Isaac, not Jacob, not Moses, not John, not Peter, not Paul. Nobody was worthy and he weeps and then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, which we'll look at in a couple weeks, has triumphed. And he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. I love this imagery because you can see John, right? Look, there's elders, look, look, there's the lion, the tribe of Judah. And so he turns and he sees a lamb. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. That's just the, in Revelation, it just means he sees everything, he knows everything. He went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures, the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals. Why? Because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and every language and people and nation. The promise made all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 to Abraham, you are gonna bless all people. And now Judah, this position of power in this kingdom will not depart from you, is now over-realized in Christ that he's worthy to purchase for God all persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. So in conclusion, gospel application, we serve the lion of the tribe of Judah, who was slain like an innocent lamb for us, that we now 
can cry out with these elders, whoever they are, you are worthy. You are worthy because you are slain. You are worthy because your innocent blood covered the sins of all your younger brothers. You are worthy because you have shed your blood. And like we do every week here at Lower Town, we partake of these elements that represent the body of Christ that was broken for us. And here, the juice that represents his blood that was spilled for us. This is it. That we get to open these elements, we get to partake of them together, and we get to, to pray, to think, to sing. You are worthy. You did this. You already have done this. And so we now get to remember. You don't have to be a member of this church or any church to be partake of these elements, but I would ask that you're a follower of Jesus. If you can look up to your elder brother, Christ, who gave himself for you and say, yeah, I'm not worthy, but you are. And it is your blood that covers my guilt and it covers my shame and it covers my sin so that I can now boldly approach the throne of grace. I now can go to the one who's seated on the throne because of what our elder brother Christ has done for us. So we're going to take these elements. Angel's going to come and just play the piano uh, again. Just play a couple of hymns. Feel free to sing if you'd like to sing. Um, but feel free to pray, uh, repent, grab these elements and, and take them as you would see fit. As we remember the finished work of the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb who was slain for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you that we can, um, in the midst of, of whatever it is that's going on in our world, in our country, in our lives, in our families, in our jobs, uh, that you are king. You are worthy. You are seated on your throne. And we might be running around frantically, but you know exactly what's going on. You know what's going to happen. You've already won the victory. You've already crushed the head of that serpent. And so we wait. We wait for this day to where we will be able to see you return and be crowned king over this earth. And every knee of every nation and tribe and tongue will bow to you. So God, we thank you. We praise you. And I pray now as we take these elements that you'd receive honor and glory. Uh, that is due your name as you remember the work of your son on the cross. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.